Bibles and turn with me to the book of John chapter 11. I appreciate Pastor Tony and these musicians and these singers and these, this worship team as they lead us every week into the presence of God. And uh, We are blessed with some pretty incredible talent around here. And I don't know about you, but I'm grateful. Uh, I'm grateful for that, for what these folks do week in and week out. Let me take a moment today and welcome our Facebook Live audience. If you're watching us today via Facebook Live, we welcome you. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, there's a couple of things you can actually do during the service. You can log on to our website, www.pulaskicog.church, uh, and you can share a prayer need with us today at any time. We'll get that, and we'll spend some time this week praying. You can actually log on and give as well. Uh, during our Facebook Live service. So we just welcome you today. We're really glad you've joined us uh, via Facebook Live and all of you folks that are here with us present in the building. We welcome you today. We're so glad that you're here. The book of John chapter 11, please, if you don't uh, have it and you don't have a Bible with you or your device, you can follow along on the screen behind me. I'll pick up in the first verse today, and I'm going to read through the sixth verse, and I'm going to use the New King James Version today as my text, and I believe that will help us get where we need to be together. Here's what the Bible says. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore, the sisters sent to Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Verse 5, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Verse 6, and I'll conclude at this verse. So when Jesus heard that he was sick, he stayed, everybody say stayed. He stayed two more days in the place where he was. When Jesus got wind and got the message of the sickness of Lazarus, he didn't run to where he was. But the Bible said he stayed two more days. I want to take these few verses and then tie in some more of this story this morning. And I want to preach on this thought, divine delays, divine delays. Can I invite you one more time to pray and I'll let you be seated. Father, thank you today for the word. Thank you for this treasure chest that we call the Bible that contains such life-changing, life-altering revelation. God, today we look to the Word, we will listen to the Word, and we will lean on the Word today, Father, to help us as we navigate through this journey we call life. Holy Spirit, if you don't breathe on us today, and you don't breathe on this Word, and you don't breathe on me today, it's just going to be empty words that come out of my mouth. But God, I don't want the, that to be the case. I want you to breathe on what I speak today. Let it let it just revolutionize. Let it just quicken somebody today. God, let it change them. Lord, I thank you for what you're going to do on these altars in the next few moments when we gather together and we give you praise for it in Jesus' name. The church said amen. God bless you today. You can be seated. Pastor Tony, thank you for your help. <clears throat> I 
love John's gospel. This fourth book in the New Testament is so full of insight and inspiration and revelation as it relates to the life and to the ministry of Jesus Christ. Contained in John's gospel are seven specific miracles that Jesus performed that John recorded. Each miracle had a detailed message that John wanted to communicate to his readers. Obviously, Jesus performed more than seven miracles while he was on this earth. But John recorded these seven miracles for a specific purpose and a reason. And here's what he said in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. He said, Truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these things were written that you might believe Jesus is the Christ and that believing on him, you might have life through his name. John would conclude his writings in John chapter 21 and verse 35. He would say to us that if all of the miracles that Christ did were recorded one by one, he said the world could not contain all the books that would be written about the miracles of Christ. So obviously there are so many more miracles and so many other things that Jesus did that are not recorded in John's gospel and not recorded in the pages of Scripture. But, but John records a miracle here in the 11th chapter that has always intrigued me. It is the story of Lazarus. Many of you know that story. You could stand up today and give us a pretty detailed account and a rundown of the story of Lazarus. But that story of Lazarus and his two sisters, Martha and Mary, have always intrigued me. It intrigues me, first of all, because of the closeness of the relationship that Lazarus and his sisters had with Christ. If there was one family in the pages of the Word of God that had a very close-knit relationship with our Lord, it was this family of Lazarus and Martha and Mary. It was Mary. The sister of Lazarus who walked into a house one day and saw Jesus sitting there and she took a very expensive bottle of perfume and she broke that bottle open. She poured it on the feet of Christ and then she took her hair and according to what the Bible tells us, she wiped his feet with her hair. I would say that's a pretty close-knit relationship. It was this family who lived in a place called Bethany that Jesus would frequent. He would stop by and he would drop by their home and he would have fellowship with them and he would have times to sit down and eat with them. And when that would happen, the Bible tells us that Martha would serve him and Mary would sit at the feet of Jesus and hang on to every word that came out of his mouth. It was Lazarus in John chapter 12 who the Bible tells us is sitting at a table having supper with Jesus. They were very closely connected. 
These were friends of Jesus, and Jesus loved them. And I've always been intrigued by the closeness of their relationship. But there's something else that intrigues me about this family and their story and their connection to Christ. That is the calamity that befell them as a result of Lazarus and his sickness. The Bible tells us in John chapter 11, verses 3, 4, and 5, that Lazarus became sick one day. And Martha and Mary must have realized and come to grips with the severity of his illness because they sent some people to tell Jesus, Lord, the one whom you love is sick. And as soon as Jesus heard that, he just opens his mouth and here's what he says. This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be manifested through it. And then the next verse says to us that, that Jesus loved Lazarus. He loved Martha and he loved Mary. And based on everything that we know about the relationship that Christ had with this family, and based on the very verbiage that Jesus used that expressed his affinity and his affection and his love for this family, one would assume that as soon as Jesus heard the news that Lazarus was sick, that he would have stopped everything he was doing, Brother Turpin, and he would have hurriedly made his way to Bethany, would have walked in that house and be laid his hands on his friend, healed him, and raised him up. But that's not what he did. And the sixth verse of John chapter 11, in my opinion, is quite possibly one of the most perplexing and disturbing verses in all of the Bible. Because here's what it said. When Jesus heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. He waited two more days before he ever made a move to go to where this man was. Now, obviously, we have the benefit of reading the entire story and knowing how it turns out. Martha and Mary don't, didn't have that benefit like we do. One version says that he stayed where he was for two more days and made no move to go to them. How do you love somebody like Jesus did and just hang out for two more days? And see, when you, when you look at this story, you see both the humanity and the divinity of Christ revealed. You see his humanity in the expression of his love and how he says, I love you, Lazarus. I love you, Martha. I love you, Mary. And, and in our humanity, we look at those people we love and we express to them in a verbal sense we love them. But you know as well as I do that talk is cheap when it comes to love. Love is not a, a verbal thing. Love is an action word. Somebody missed a good place to say amen right there. And we see his humanity, but we see his divinity. We see the divine part of Christ because in his mind, he's not in a hurry because he already knows how it's going to turn out. But Martha and Mary don't know that. We see his divinity when he looks at his disciples and he says, Lazarus is dead. D-E-A-D. 
deed. The old boy is done. He's given up the ghost. He's quit breathing. The old ticker's quit ticking. Lazarus is dead. And Thomas says, well, come on, let us go that we can die with him. Good old Thomas. I mean, old guy, he could, he's like Eeyore, Winnie the Pooh. I mean, everything was just horrible and terrible. And we see the divinity of Christ. Jesus hadn't even made it to Bethany, and he knew Lazarus was already dead. That shows us the omniscience of Christ, his ability to be all-knowing, and he's also all-seeing, and he's also all-powerful. He's omniscient, he's omnipotent, he's omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time at the same time. He's God and the Father, he's God and the Son, he's God and the Holy Ghost, he's God all three in one. If I could sing, I'd break out and sing an old song. I know God is God. He's God in the amen corner. He's God back at the door. He's God here all over the floor. I know God is God. He's God when the lightning flashes. He's God when the thunder rolls. Listen, there's nobody like God. He was human, but he was divine all at the same time. Hallelujah. I could preach right there for one minute. Every thought you're thinking, he already knows. Every place you're going to go, he already knows. All power belongs unto God. There's nobody like him. Never been anybody like him. Will never be anybody like him. He'll not share his glory with anybody. He'll not share his throne with anybody. He's altogether lovely, and he's God all by himself. Hallelujah. Oh, I feel like preaching today. And we see his humanity, and we see his divinity. Human that he loves those people, but divine and that he already knows how this thing is going to turn out. But remember, Martha and Mary don't know how it's going to turn out. Now, there's a couple of obvious reasons if you read the Scripture why Jesus delayed his coming. Number one, so that God would be praised. That's what he said, this sickness not unto death, but for the glory of God. And number two, he delayed his coming so that faith would be produced in his disciples. He says, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad for your sake I wasn't there. So now that when I get there and I raise him up, your faith is going to be built up by the resurrection that happens. See, sometimes God will build our faith as we watch other things transpire in people's lives, and it builds our faith and gives us a hope that if God did it for them, God can do it for us. Well, I feel a preacher in this place today. I hope, I hope you're ready. I'm about to give you some good stuff. You got to do better than look at me right there. I'm going to get an amen and old me or something. Shake that bush preacher or something lets me know you're alive. And there's th those obvious reasons. But even knowing all of that and knowing the end of the story, it doesn't make it any easier for me to digest verse 6. Had he just, had the writer, had John just quit at verse 6, I really would have struggled with it. Because, see, we read the end of the story, and we eventually Jesus is going to show up. Lazarus is four days dead in the grave. He's going to stand at the tomb. He's going to say, Lazarus, come forth. The Bible says he came forth bound hand and foot. Jesus looked at those people there and said, loose him and let him go. Those people had a part in his liberty and in his freedom. Oh, I wish I had time to preach right there. I'd, I'd give you some nuggets on that. And the Bible says they loose him, they let him go, and that's pretty much it's the miracle that's done. But verse 6 says that when he got wind, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. And in that moment, Martha and Mary find themselves in what I call a divine delay. What do we do when we find ourselves in a divine delay? 
When God strategically and purposely hits the pause button in and on our lives. And at that moment, we are forced to stand still. We are forced to wait. And we are forced to wonder if God is going to fulfill his word and perform his work. What do we do? When we find ourselves in that moment when the, when the, when the hands of life are tick, tick, ticking and all of a sudden they come to a screeching halt, we find ourselves in a divine delay. There's, a, there's another uh, word for this or words. It's called liminal space. It's a Latin word. And it speaks of a time frame between what was and what's next. And it's a place of transition. It's a place of waiting. It's a place of not knowing. Has anybody ever been in that place before when God just hits the pause button and everything just comes to a stop and all of a sudden you find yourselves in a waiting game in a divine light? Anybody ever been there before? Would you just raise your hand today? And the rest of you are not even participating or telling the truth. But I'm not worried about it. I've gotten used to that. And all of a sudden, life just, it just, it stops. And in that, in that divine delay, there's, there's, great, there's a great conflict that goes on. There is this faith part of us, Brother Kenny Hancock, that, that knows we have to trust God and wait on his timing. But then there's this old flesh. Boy, there is, and you know what Paul said, nothing good dwells in our flesh. I don't care, listen, I don't care how saved you are. I don't care how much you love Jesus. I don't care how full of the Holy Ghost you are. There are times this flesh will rear its ugly head. And I can see some of you, I see halos just being polished. Why? Not me, Pastor Gore. I, I don't have a problem with my flesh. You just lied right through your teeth. I mean, I lost, I lost my temper a little bit this week. I had to actually repent and ask the Lord to forgive me. I, Oh boy, I got a phone call, and I, but something now with somebody that's close to me that we're blood related, so I was I was justified. <laughs> I asked God to forgive me for what I said, but I never told that person I was because I wasn't sorry. They needed to have their hind end chewed a little bit. I got a call back later in the week. And they said you asked God to forgive you. I said, don't you dare be pointing out my flaws, big boy. And I like just snapped. I wigged. And I got done. I thought, man, where'd that come from? You know what that was? That's, that's the old flesh. And that old flesh will get in the way. Nothing good dwells in your flesh. I mean, there's nothing good that dwells in your flesh. Nothing. Because there's times you'll open your mouth and something will come out and you'll go, my gosh, where'd that come from? It's the flesh. And when you find yourself in this divine delay, there's this conflict. Martha was there. Let me show you. I, these, these few points I'm going to share with you in a moment, they're fast, I promise. When Jesus finally shows up, she goes to him and says, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. You see your faith in him? And I know that even now, she says, verse 22, this is John 11, 21 through 27. But I know that even now, that whatever you ask of God, God will give it to you. See the faith? And then Jesus says, Martha, your brother will, will rise again. Now watch the conflict here. 
Yes, Lord, I know he'll rise again at the resurrection, in the resurrection at the last day. Oh, wait a minute. You just said whatever Jesus would ask of God, God would give it to him. And now you're saying when he says your brother's going to rise again, well, I know he's going to rise again. She, she, she was going based on a knowledge she had by what she had read in the law and according to what Jesus had taught. But he's not bound by just what we know. And I know he'll rise again. And he says this, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believeth on me, though he may die, he shall live. And he said, whoever lives and believeth in me will never die. Martha, do you believe this? Now watch this. She, she stepped from faith to flesh, now back to faith. Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God that was sent into this world. See the, see the conflict? You see the battle there? It's this faith versus flesh. Part of me wants to trust you while I wait, but then I get over here in the flesh and I go, well, there's no hope, God, Jesus, you should have been here sooner. So what do we do? What do we do when we find ourselves in a divine delay? I'm going to share with you real quickly three things. These three things have been foundational to my life for the 21 years that I've been in ministry. I, I quote them often. I speak of them regularly, and they're going to probably sound familiar to you. I don't apologize for that because I just felt so prompted of the Lord this week to talk to you about this. Here's the first thing. In a divine delay, here's what you need to know. Here's what you don't do. You never make a permanent decision based on temporary circumstances. Here's what I mean by that. At some point where you are and where you're living and what you're going through and whatever's happened in your life, it's not going to be that way forever. Eventually, things are going to change. I promise you they will. And the only thing in this ever-changing, ever-evolving world that we live in that is constant, it is the promises of God. Heaven and earth will pass away, but his word will never pass away. The only thing that's the same is God and his word. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Now, here's what you have to understand in the midst of a, of a divine delay. His perspective is different than ours. Because the Bible declares in Isaiah 46 and 10 that he declares the end from the beginning. He knows exactly when it's going to start, and he knows when it's going to stop, and he knows when it's going to finish. He already knows all that. How many life-altering decisions have we made in a fleeting moment of time? I call it a knee-jerk reaction. Based on how we feel, and we've had to bear the brunt of the consequences that come from making a permanent decision based on something that was only temporary that was eventually going to change. Can I get any help in here today from somebody that will help this preacher preach for just a minute today? And we do it all the time. We make a decision based on a temporary circumstance. And there's some of you in here today, you could say, if you were honest, Pastor, I can bear witness to that fact. I've made some terrible choices based on what was going on temporarily. But I want somebody to know today that whatever you're going through right now, it won't be that way forever. Eventually, it is going to change. And here's what you have to know, that there will be times and seasons in your lives 
when there will be circumstances that contradict the plan and the purpose that God has for your life. But here's what I want to tell somebody today, that the purpose of God will always prevail in your life. I don't care what the devil says. I don't care what the devil does. Listen, I don't even care if you've made some choices in your life that have delayed what God wants to do. Yes, you do have to bear some of the seeds that you sow, but I believe that ultimately the plan and purpose of God will prevail for you. And I built my life on this verse, Romans 8 and 28. I know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. He'll take a little bit of this and a little bit of that. He'll put it all together. He'll stir it around. He'll work it. He'll move it around and he'll make it work for your good. Never make a permanent decision based on a temporary circumstance. Eventually, things will change. Somebody say amen if you believe that today. Hallelujah. Number two, number two, you have to remember if you find yourself in a divine delay that there are some things that are not meant to be conquered but survived. Now that's hard for folks that have a winner's mentality. It's always about staying on top of the hill and flexing your muscles and being the victor. But there's some things you just have to survive. Because here's what you have to know. There'll be places in life and seasons and circumstances that you won't be able to change by what you do. You won't be able to alter it. So here's what somebody said one time. If you can't alter it, you just have to outlive it. You just have to last longer than what it is that you're going through. Listen, it's not always about triumph. Sometimes it's about endurance, James Hanks. And the Bible tells us in Matthew 24 and 13 that those who endure till the end shall be saved. What was it that the writer of Ecclesiastes said? The race is not to the swift. Sometimes, listen, this journey we're on in life, this Christian walk that we're involved in, it is one step at a time. And there's going to be seasons in your life that you're not just going to be able to slug your way out of it. You're simply going to have to endure what you're going through. So if you can't alter it, you just outlive it. What does that mean, Pastor? You just keep being faithful. You keep showing up to worship. You keep reading the Word. You keep praying. You keep paying your tithes. You keep loving your family. You keep doing everything that you know to do. And I'm telling you, if you can endure, I believe that God will eventually bring you out. There are some things that are not meant to be conquered. They're meant to be survived. I hope I'm helping. So I'm helping myself right here. Because endurance will develop your faith. It will develop your character. It will develop your patience. Anybody need more patience? It'll develop your walk with God. I don't know about you, but there are some divine delays in my life that I have been through that have helped me become better and stronger as a Christian than anything I've walked through. You know what James said in James chapter 1, verses 2, 3, and 4? He said, my brethren, count it all joy. You ready for this one? Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. I'd like to take that verse out. Count it all joy when I get into the midst of hell. Let me start counting. Boy, that's good, and that's good, and that's good. Oh, thank God for that place, and thank God for that hardship. Count it all joy. He didn't say when you fall into a trial. He said various trials. 
can we have just can we have maybe said trial? He's got to make it plural, various trials, knowing, watch this, that the testing of your faith produces patience. And let patience have its perfect work that you may be complete and perfect, lacking nothing. There's some things you're not meant to conquer. You're meant to survive them. And you just have to stay steady. And you have to endure to the end. I wish I had time to talk to you about the children of Israel. You know, in their wilderness experience, remember, they created most of their own mess. You understand that. Their disobedience, their grumbling, their complaining, their griping. And listen, their wilderness experience, it wasn't so much about them getting out of Egypt. It was about getting Egypt out of them. Oh, boy, that was, that, that was worth your trip to church today. It wasn't about them getting out. Get me out, God. Get me out, God. Get me out. God, please touch Pharaoh's heart. Moses, could you do something? Get me out. And God's saying, I don't need to get you out. There's some stuff I need to get out of you because if I don't get it out of you, you won't be able to handle the promised land I'm taking you into. And see, oh, God, I feel this right here. There's some folks you are in such a hurry. You got to get here and you got to get there. And you're trying to rush the timing of God. And you're frustrated and you're, and you're aggravated. God, why can't you hurry up? God's saying, listen, if I get you in where you want to go, it'll be too too soon. You'll abort what I want to do. There's some stuff in you. I got to get out. If you'll be patient, I'll get you ready for the next season and the next step of your life because I believe that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. When he starts, he will finish. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Pastor, come help me. I got to land this thing. Prize fighter, heavyweight champion fighter, James Corbett. One of the greatest boxers ever. Here's what he said about endurance. He said, when your feet are so tired that you have to shuffle to the center of the ring, he said, fight one more round. He said, when your arms are so tired that you can't even get your hands up on guard, he said, fight one more round. He said, when your eye is black and your nose is bloody and you wish that your opponent, I like this, would crack you one in the jaw and just put you to sleep, he said, fight one more round. He said, because remember this, the man who fights one more round is never whipped. And there's sometimes you just got to pull yourself out the bed when you're in the fight of your life. And you may have to shuffle to the shower. You may have to shuffle to the sink to brush your teeth and shuffle to the breakfast table. And I'm not talking about being old and shuffle. I'm talking about being, having to wait and shuffle. Because when you get a little bit older, you start shuffling, don't you? Oh, I had some amens on that one. I figured I would. Start shuffling, don't you, Ronnie Burchett? And you may have to shuffle to your car and shuffle out of your car and shuffle into work and shuffle to your desk and sit down and say, my God, I don't know if I can do it. All you're doing, you're just fighting one more round. I'm telling you, if you'll be faithful, God, I feel the Holy Ghost right here. If you'll just be faithful, God will be faithful to you. Sometimes, listen, sometimes you just got to show up. Sometimes you got to show up. Here's the last thing I want you to know, and I'm going to close with this one. If you find yourself in a divine delay, you never make a permanent decision based on temporary circumstances. Number two, remember there's some things aren't meant to be conquered, but they're meant to, to be survived. Number three, 
Here's what you have to know. You have an appointment with destiny. Did you hear me? I said, you have an appointment with destiny. God has reserved a moment in time for every single one of us. I don't care what your age is. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to miss my moment that God has for me. I don't want to miss it. Here's what will happen if we're not careful. We'll get weary, worn out, worn down, broken down, and burned out. And we'll say, God, it's not worth it. But I want to remind somebody today that Paul told us in Galatians 6 and 9 not to grow weary in well-doing. Because in due season, we'll reap if we faint not. That word due season there speaks of a specific time. You do know, and I've preached this before, you do know that, that we live in, and God lives in and operates in two time frames. The first time frame is called chronos. It speaks of chronological, sequential, natural time. 12 o'clock, May the 28th, 2017, 12 o'clock p.m. That's a, that's a chronological time that we're in right now. It's the natural order of time that we're in at this moment. But in, in, inside of that chronos moment, there's what the Bible talks about as a kairos moment. It's a specific time. It's a due season. And I want you to understand that in this chronological moment of time, because we live in chronological time every day of our lives. We live in chronos, natural sequential time. We live in it. But in that chronological sequential moment of time inside there is what we call a kairos moment a specific time that God has destined and ordained for your life I believe that I believe it with all of my heart I go back to the my mind goes back to the Old Testament that story of Joseph and you realize that just because he was thrown into a pit and thrown into a prison it, it didn't change the fact he was destined for the palace did it? Circumstances contradict, contradicted the purpose that God had for his life. It did. And in that chronological moment of time as he lived in that prison cell, he probably thought, I'll never make it to the palace. But what he didn't realize was there was a kairos moment in that chronos moment of time when somebody showed up and said, listen, Pharaoh's calling for you. He needs to talk to you. And in a moment of time, just like that, everything changed, everything turned. I believe God operates like that. If God's got a Kairos moment for some of you today, you have an appointment with destiny, even though you're on a divine delay, I believe God's got a moment in time for you. And if we're not careful, and I close with this, we'll allow the dark days of depression and discouragement to cloud our view of destiny that we have. And I want you to know today, you may be sitting still, and you've been sitting still, and it seems like God... Are you ever going to do what you promised you would do? Are you ever going to fulfill your word? Are you going to perform your work? God, are you going to show up and do what you said you'd do? Here's another life verse I've lived by. According to Jeremiah 29 and 11, here's what the Lord says. I know the thoughts that I think towards you. Somebody get this today. It's for you. It's got your name in it. I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you a hope to give you a future, to give you an expected end. Put your name in there. Would you do that? 
I know the thoughts that I think towards you, Pastor Gore, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a hope of future and expected end. I know the thoughts that I think towards you, the Lord says, Gene Turpin, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a hope of future and expected end. I know the thoughts that I think towards you, Lexi, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a hope of future and expected end. Put your name there. I know the thoughts that I think towards you, James and Gene, the Lord says, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you hope of future and expected. I know the thoughts that I think towards you, Connor Turpin, the Lord says, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you hope of future and expected end. He knows the thoughts. Rosalie knows the thoughts. Emma, he knows the thoughts. Here's the good thing. God, I feel the Holy Ghost right here. Here's the good thing. You've been on God's mind today. I'm looking as I scan this congregation this morning. There are some of you that right now circumstances are contradicting everything I've preached today. Everything that you're in, everything you're experiencing, everything that you're going through, what you're living in, what you've been living in, it contradicts everything I'm saying. But I'm going to tell you today, if you've ever heard your pastor and you've ever hung on to anything I've said, I need somebody to hang on to Jeremiah 29 and 11 today. I know the thoughts I think towards you, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a hope of future and an expected end. I'm telling you, it's preachery, it's cliches, but it's not over until God says that it's over. God has you in the palm of his hand. God has your life in the palm of his hand. I I don't care what people have said. I don't care what people have done. I don't care where you are right now. God is not done with you yet. It's not over until God says that it's over.